Your husband of many years is found collapsed by his vehicle. A heart attack is suspected until a quick look in the open boot of the car reveals the bodies of two females and one child, all completely unknown to you. To this day, no one knows how many victims of this serial killer there are. This is the case of Melvin Ted Carr, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I am Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. You said Murder Me on Monday, mm-hmm. really quickly. Have, have you got somewhere else to be <laughs> on a Sunday? <laughs> the, the entire thing of today is to record the podcast, that's it. That's all on, on our little docket. I, do that. I stuffed up the opening a couple of times and I just wanted to the, get it out. The boots of the open car. Oh uh, Yeah, and I just like, I knew I'd said that wrong and you didn't. Do you think your intro can give people PTSD at any point? Because you're like... Your husband, he's a useless fuck and he doesn't look after the kids and then he kills them and then people go, oh, panic. That's the biggest thing I struggle with these days is, is actually doing that, doing that opener. I have to wander off and... Because you, you know what you want to say, but you don't know how to make it make no, sense for No, I don't even know what I want to say. I, w- I want to get that hook. Well, no, the... but you know the story yeah. of the, the case because you're obviously studying it. So you kind of want to go, I know what I want to say, but how do you actually put that down on pen and paper so people that hear it can then sometimes it's really really easy it almost writes itself but then there's other times i'm just like no and i'm also thinking as well because we're in october we're looking at spooky month i've got two other cases in the back of my yeah, head as last well last year we did spooktober we did the the, yeah. the the werewolf i still remember the winchester one because that was quite interesting yeah the winchester house yeah has she just added rooms on like it's minecraft mm. yeah uh, and another thing i want to say not even relating to the podcast, but it's true crime-ish. I, I came downstairs, I think, Thursday night, and you're watching television, and you're going, ah, oh, it's fucking bollocks. That's wrong. That's not right. <laughs> and the only thing that you watch on television is true crime stuff. Yes. So you're like, no, that's not right. And I know that I know you're sat there thinking, they've not done their research. They've not used the Wayback Machine. I can tell that you're getting irritated by it. Because it's bollocks. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do switch off when they do that. I've got to admit, it's, especially when, you, when you've perhaps researched a case anyway yeah and you might be watching the case that you've researched and you go that's yeah. not wrong he wasn't born in edinburgh he was born in glasgow yeah, yeah. exactly and you know it is yeah. yeah there's little things like that and it really irritates me so that's another reason why we did podcast so this one is a doozy as i say and i for one had never heard of this guy let us start on the 5th of january 1915 when Melvin Chelsea Carr is born in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, his middle name is what we would use for a woman in the UK, but it's spelt with a C-I-E at the end and not S-E-A, as we would expect. Where the Ted comes from, I don't know. But I was going to ask that. Yeah, we don't know, but that's what he was known as. Second of four children, ordinary child, didn't get into trouble, and spent his summers helping his father and his grandfather, learnt some painting and decorating and carpentry skills. An ordinary life and things ticked along until his parents got divorced and his dad moved to Indiana and bought a petrol come service station there. Would that have been particularly common in those days, either getting divorced? I wouldn't have thought so, no. How would he be? How old would he have been? Because he said he was born in 1915, right? Yeah, he, this would have been about 1930. So it was okay. fairly, un, certainly in the UK it would have been. I'm not so sure about the US. I didn't look I, into those I mean, stats. I can tell it was a while ago because these pictures are dated he, yeah. he looks like he digs in caves <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. this, this, this is an image that you'd have posted on some sort of wall saying we've lost a miner have you seen him he was last found digging in old Johnson's cave it's weird how you can tell the age of a picture sometimes just by looking at how it's 
framed. Well, I mean, it's in black and white and it's not good. And it's also the hairstyles even. Yeah. It's it's one of those weird things. Now, he, as I said, he moved to Indiana and a rough guess, it'd be about three hours by car at today's speed. Is that just his dad or did he move with his dad? His dad moved by himself and he stayed with his mother and his siblings. So uh, if we say it was three hours by car at today's speed, according to Google Maps, back then it'd probably be a lot longer, I would have thought, because you've got cars at what, what was the top speed back of a car in the 1930s, probably 40 mile an hour, I would have thought. I don't know. I mean... Would they have even had speed limits on certain roads? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did by that point. And he stayed with his mother until he moved out into his own place. And he worked as a painter and decorator for himself. The divorce, we don't know the reasons behind. But there is speculation that this caused a real change in Ted's personality. And he's described as aggressive, especially towards women although he always had a girlfriend or two, and apparently he was easy on the eye, was the f- phrasing I saw. That picture you've I got... I don't know, the second one, he doesn't look unattractive. He's just a middle-aged man with yeah. a s- slightly receding hairline, looks decent in glasses. Like, he doesn't... He's not... Well, this he's, is, he's, is not, he's not fugly. He, he's not a bit of a munter. He don't pick you off. He's all right. <laughs> so there's little information till about 1942, when Ted would have been 27, when he joined the military. He was possibly married once, but no information on that, but was definitely married a second time in 1942 to a 20-year-old and then swiftly divorced when he left the military in 1943. The marriage certificate's in the show notes. So he's married and divorced twice, maybe, by the age of 28. Now, that leaving the military had me puzzled. Wartime. I'm sure he wasn't allowed to just quit. So maybe there's something deep within some Pentagon records that would show maybe why he was was discharged for something. He doesn't also have ever seemed to have been on the reserved list to get called back up here either, which again would make me think there is something that he was kicked out for. Do you get money for being on the reserve list? Don't know. Because if it's not, it makes sense to. I I know the army is is almost used as a, a mechanism to get people from impoverished areas to sign up. Because, mm. I mean, when you leave, you do get a shitty communications degree, but at least, at least it's a degree. And people think, well, I have no other outlook. Let's join the army. Well, he was only in there for 18 months. And I say wartime, it's really unusual. And he managed to get married in that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He goes back to Ohio and resumes his life as a painter and decorator when he meets a woman called Harriet, who's a school teacher through mutual friends. After a few months of dating, they marry. Now, Harriet was three years older than Ted. So this is his third? Yeah. It's definitely his second, but probably his third. Okay. 1945, Ted, then aged 30, got himself in over his head with the growing of his business. He was supposed to build a house for someone and took $3,000 to do that. Yet nothing happened. And the prospective homeowner had him arrested. That would have been roughly $46,000 on today's money. So that was cheap. It's, It's not. It's tenfold that again it's, it's the buying price yeah. if you're building a house for that much the, the equivalent now would be at least looking at, at 200k yeah well he was described as even though he wasn't qualified he could build anything he could turn his hand to anything so somebody perhaps hiring to do that wouldn't have if been... he's been a tradesman since he was 15 yeah you, he, he, you'd pick something up mm. al- along the way and i don't know if back then you'd need to have the qualifications in order to actually do it it might just be done by word of mouth yeah 
There was a grand jury in December of 1945. And if you're like me and always hearing that, you're wondering what it actually was. So a grand jury is a jury convened to determine if there is sufficient evidence to warrant the indictment of a suspected offender. A federal grand jury consists of between 16 and 23 persons and is required by the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution before a person can be indicted for a serious criminal offence under federal law. So that's quite impressive. And it makes complete sense if you know it's under this federal statute. For people that don't know the Fifth Amendment is you don't have to say anything that can... Um, Harm yourself. Yeah. Yeah, when questioned, blah, blah, blah. He gets indicted with receiving property under false pretenses. He waives the jury trial, which was his right, and goes before a judge on the 7th of May, 1947. So it's roughly two years after taking this money. That trial revealed a few things. He was known to the FBI. He'd also been arrested for stealing cars, carrying concealed weapons, and even writing bad checks, which is basically not having the funds in the bank to cover the check that he'd written. But he was using a false name as well. He was calling himself John Marshall. June 1947, Ted was found guilty, and he filed a motion for a new trial. So the judge let him out on a bond of $2,000 while the request was considered. Only 10% had to be put down for the princely sum of $200. Ted was free for all intents and purposes. Ted decides to travel for work and leaving Harriet at home. Yes, she stood by him. Would he even be allowed to do that? Because she's not leaving the country, but probably not. I know now they say don't leave the, the town or the state. Yeah. But if he's just sort of peace out. If you're trying to look through the news reports as I was doing, it's basically f- photographs of microfiches of news reports from the time. It's impossible to it's actually... It's a picture of a picture that was bad back in the day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he gets about a bit when he's on his travels. He goes to Indiana, Illinois, Texas, Massachusetts, Wyoming, Idaho and Nebraska. October 1947 roughly five months after that trial and still waiting to hear if he can have a new one, he gets himself arrested in a place called Kimball in Nebraska. It's a tiny place, even with a current population of about 2,000 people. Ted had met a husband and wife who were hitchhiking in Illinois and trying to get out west. No, I'm not going to break out into song. He told the couple he was called John. Remember, he was using that name previously, John Marshall. And he told them that he owned a hunting lodge in Idaho. And would they like to work for him? They, of course, thought that their luck had changed and happily hopped in the very nice new car he was driving and set out on a road trip. Until they got to Nebraska on a secluded road and Ted stopped the car. The couple described his behaviour as if a light switch had been tripped. He suddenly got very angry pulled out a gun and ordered them out of the car. He handcuffed the man to the vehicle and then sexually assaulted the woman. And after that was over, he beat them both around the head with the gun, which is pistol whipping, isn't it, Cam? Bashing somebody around the head with a gun is pistol whipping? Yeah, well, yeah. if it's with a pistol. Well, yeah, it was a gun. I don't know whether, what type it was, but it was a handgun. In movies, they, they underplay what happens if you get hit over the head so hard that it knocks you out and then they wake up and they're fine. You're, you're done. You are ruined. It, that's metal. And someone's whipping you with it. Imagine the force behind it. It often just cracks the skull and people just die. Yeah. So he then drives off, leaving them bleeding by the side of the road. Someone found this couple and the police were soon on Ted's trail. 
and he gets arrested for sexual assault and kidnapping. We're talking about the 1940s, so we've got no computers and even less collaboration between police forces. But with these charges, he somehow got bail again, even after the prosecutor told the flipping judge Ted was wanted on charges in Ohio. The exact wording was a fugitive from justice on another charge in Ohio. So I don't know if that's related to his financial trial or something other else. Digging through these newspaper pictures, it's not clear. They let him out on bond again. And off he skedaddles back to Harriet in Ohio over a thousand miles away. February 1948, the judge from the original trial where Ted asked for a new one denied that request. And on the day set for sentencing, Ted asked for what's called a continuance, which was granted. He, you know, gives a bit more time. And then he asked for another one. They gave him another one. Judge is an idiot because Ted immediately scoops up Harriet and they move to Indiana, about 200 miles away, where his dad still had that petrol come service station thing. According to those newspaper reports, he was also charged with assault and battery in 1961, but there's no more details. Ted goes back to work as a painter and he's also working for his dad too, where he often interacts with clients of his dad's such as a 35-year-old divorcee and her 17-year-old daughter, who inexplicably go missing in January of 1967 and reported as such by a relative in February of 67. A search of the house by the police, it looked like they'd been abducted by aliens. School books are open on a table, everything's in its place, the no coats are missing and the TV is still on. Ted and the divorcee, called Lois, were quite close and they had been seen by a worker at his dad's station heading out in Ted's car one evening. The next day the car was up on a ramp having been pressure washed and even had the boot cleaned out. Funnily enough the police didn't notice that because they'd actually been called to the surface station that same morning by Ted's dad. He claimed to have found Ted laying outside the station, having been beaten up and robbed of somewhere between $500 and $900. Why did he have so much money on him? Exactly. And Ted didn't really know how much money. (laughs) That's a lot of money now. Never mind just in your pocket back then. Yeah. Well, according to Ted, he'd been alone at the service station. Some guy had banged on the door. Ted had opened the door and he'd rushed at him with a gun and then proceeded to beat him up. So it's a bit odd. The worker that had seen Ted leaving with Lois and had seen Ted's car up on the ramp. And is is Lois that divorcee? Yes. Okay. With the child? Yes. Okay. The worker, they knew all about the rumours surrounding Ted, how he was weird and made people very uncomfortable. And also knowing he had probably been the last person to see Lois with Ted very swiftly leaves his job. There's also mention that this guy's and his wife... Um, were left in a really uncomfortable position because Ted would ring the guy's house. Obviously, no mobile phones, so he's ringing the house. And he asked this worker's wife to go and get him, collect him from the hospital, and she refused to do it because she's like, I just don't want to be around him. He creeps me out. Well, the police do go back and search the garage and the surface station. Is he still married at this point? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you do it? Or well, was she able to drive? I don't know. Good yeah, point. exactly. Well, they know that there's a link between Ted and Lois because this worker told them. And they find Lois's watch and even some papers that belong to Lois. 
but they knew they didn't have anything that they could make stick to Ted. So make of that what you will. Ted then befriends an elderly couple. And when the husband dies, he offers to help the widow, who was 81 years old and was blind. He manages to convince her to let him help sell a house that she had. And they would keep the funds in a joint account. But he had managed to also get himself power of attorney over her financial affairs. So I'm sat here cringing the whole time I was reading that because you, you can see where this is going to go. He proceeds to bleed her dry until she was left with $243 to her name. He had sold the house for $8,000, then plundered that account and two others. And he took from her in total $25,420. That same year, he ended up in even more trouble. There is a very strange story with multiple different versions. So I'll, I'll clean it up a bit. He meets a woman who, and he offered to take her child to Mexico and teach her all about his import-export business of Mexican ceramics. This girl was 14. She's still a child. And this girl could then teach English to Mexicans. The other story in the newspaper is he was going to put her into a fine school. I know it was 1970 at this point, but really? There were hotels en route, and you could imagine what he actually got up to with this 14-year-old girl. There are mentions that perhaps the girl's mother wanted Ted to marry the girl, and perhaps they went back to Mexico and some sort of service was carried out, even though he was still married to Harriet. That reporting of that is all disjointed, but he definitely got into trouble for this because in 1971, he gets convicted of transporting the girl for immoral purposes and gets sentenced to have a guess. Have a guess how much he gets. It's going to be something ridiculous, isn't it? It's like mm. six months probation. Well, it's five years. Probation or in jail? No, five years in jail. Okay. He doesn't stop there, though. While he is in jail, he tries to get a hit put out on the 81-year-old blind widow and on the 14-year-old girl and two other people. Their names aren't mentioned. And it's likely there were various ex-law enforcement officers that Ted had somehow roped into what was going to become a white slavery ring. That is why the FBI were keeping tabs on him. That's what he was doing. He was, it was white slavery. Who's what, trying to capture white people and taking, turn them into slaves. taking young girls down to mexico to sell them it's not really white slavery it's sex trafficking isn't it it's sex trafficking but don't forget it's the 70s it was still called white slavery that's what they called it but yes yeah, it's, it's sex trafficking that's why the fbi were in tr were keeping an eye on him he doesn't seem to have had any extra time added on for the hitman escapade because in by 1977 he's out and back home with Harriet. I don't see how that wouldn't be considered a conspiracy to commit. I know. But they just didn't seem to. It's different if you're joking with the boys that you're going to do something. But then if you're speaking to hitmen, like, I might do this. That's different. This is a man who, according to neighbours of many years, barely slept. They would go to bed at midnight and wake up to find, say, a whole new fence in place down the property line and had never heard a thing of it being put up. So it's not surprising he was not in bed with Harriet at 4.30am on the 20th of April 1977. She goes looking for him and hears a car running in the garage and the door is only slightly open. And there she finds Ted, then aged 62, 
dead on the floor and promptly runs screaming. Neighbours rush out to help and spot the open boot and the bodies of this woman, teenage girl and a very young boy inside. Police find a loaded 25 caliber revolver in Ted's pocket and that a hose was attached to the car's exhaust pipe and the other end was in the boot of the car. It turns out that Ted had abducted 24-year-old Karen Mills and her two-year-old son Robert along with 17-year-old Sandra Harris. Ted, true to form, sexually assaulted the women then made them get in the boot of the car at gunpoint drove back to his house, put the car in the garage, set up the death chamber and walked away. He goes back later to check that they were dead. He doesn't turn off the engine or open the garage to let the fumes out. You said death chamber, death mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. That implies it's a frequent place to visit because it's not just a place that it happened, it's got a name. I had my suspicions. It has a label. That's... I had my suspicions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this genius holds a handkerchief over his face and opens the boot and leans in. Apparently, carbon monoxide isn't heavier than air. It's a common misconception. It's slightly lighter, but not enough where it would just sort of float out and up and hit the ceiling. But it was enough to float out and up and knock Ted out. And what with the garage being filled with it anyway, because the engine was still running, it kills him. The autopsies on the victims confirm death by carbon monoxide poisoning. Police go digging into Ted and people start to come forward. You mentioned this to me kind of briefly. You don't tell me much about the case, but you you said that he opened the boat, stuck his head in, died. Yeah. And that's when I said, oh, he might have passed out because I thought carbon monoxide would be heavier than air. So I assumed, it, I assumed it would sink to the bottom of the floor of the room that he's in. It, apparently of this death chamber that I didn't know what it was. And then he would then suffocate because it's going to be at the bottom. But I guess if it's not and it's risen and then he's just passed out and the whole room is so saturated yeah. with it, there's no air in it. No, There's and he's no got oxygen. a handkerchief. If it was wet, you could it would probably do more because it's going to act as more of a filter, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I didn't. No. I, I thought I thought it was heavier. But it was you saying, "Oh, is it heavier?" And it made me go, "Oh, let me check that." And I found the facts that actually it's not. It's a very slightly lighter, but it wouldn't be enough. Say we were in the room here and carbon monoxide was released in here, it wouldn't just float up to the ceiling. It would very very slowly rise, but not enough. Probably at a rate that if you were just inhaling in the room, it would get you because it's, it's yeah. not just going to, it's not like helium, helium that's just going to instantly fly up to the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. So, as I said, police go digging into Ted and people start to come forward. There's I a, don't think it is a death chamber room. Cause it, it's a garage. It's a no, death no, chamber. No, 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 I'm thinking because he, he went in there with a the, with the hanky over his face. It, you'd have a mask, wouldn't you? A proper one, if this is something you do frequently. You'd be a bit more prepared. If I had a kill room, I'd have, I'd have washable floors and shit, not carpet. Maybe Harriet took his gas mask. I don't know why he didn't have one. I mean, this is the 70s, so they're not particularly available, although Second World War ones are still about. Yeah, exactly. He, he could get one. Well, there's a 19-year-old woman. She'd worked for Ted for a very short time at the garage. She told investigators her life had been threatened by him only two weeks prior to Ted's death. She worked for him and he sent her out to go and pick up some bits for cars and such like. And she was driving a car that belonged to Ted. She hit a patch of ice and she wrecked the car. She got minor injuries and was treated in a hospital. USA. Medical bill. This is the 17-year-old that was found in the boot. No, this is a a 19-year-old woman who comes forward to the police that Ted had threatened her. Okay. Okay. 
She wanted Ted to pay her medical bills. She'd been injured on the job. It wasn't unreasonable, was it? According to this young woman, Ted had told her he would only pay the bills in exchange for sexual favours. When she was like, heck no, he becomes violent and threatened her and told her, if you ever go to the police or tell your attorney, I'll make sure you never speak again. A seven-year-old girl, she was at the time, identified Ted from his picture in the newspapers as a man who had sexually assaulted her in a park in 1975. Three girls from Indiana also named Ted as the man who abducted them in 1975 at gunpoint. Ted cut the throats of two older girls, aged 13 and 14, and sexually assaulted the younger girl, aged 11, before stabbing her 15 times in the chest. He left all three for dead in a field. Okay, so he didn't dispose of them, he left them? Yeah, just left them in a field. Is that the place that it happened? Yeah. So so, so he would like get them to the field, then kill them, like assault them, and then kill them there? He, he, he wouldn't dispose them. of them? He abducted them from like a fair, a yeah, local state okay. fair type thing. I'm wondering if the, the psychology of maybe then doing that and then disposing of a body in a certain way, that maybe that's more telling of someone. Like, like I'm obviously going to say, because it's more recent, like like Gacy or Dharma, they, they disposed of them. They had like means. They didn't just like leave the body to be found. It's... More su- it's surprisingly how common that is. People will just leave people. A, a, a I body. guess if you're completely away from the body, it might be harder to pin you down. But if you've got like 18 skulls in your floorboard, you can't really get our shit. <laughs> like Gacy yeah. underneath his house. So the two older girls managed to crawl through the field to the edge of the road, and they were spotted by a motorist who passing by and got help. And all three girls actually survived after getting stabbed. But yeah, 15 times in the chest. He's obviously his anatomy. Wasn't particularly knowledgeable, was it? Wow, well, that's impressive. Hmm. Oh, it's unfortunate. I'm not saying good thing, but no. like, like, wow. Yeah. Police also found out they had a 20-year-old lad that he used to take on trips to find victims to kidnap. Although the lad said that they never found anybody suitable, they were supposedly to kidnap them to hand them over to this sex ring thing he was trying to set up or whatever he was doing. They then start looking into the disappearance of Lois and her daughter, that divorcee. But they can't find any bodies and nothing to firmly tie Ted back to the disappearance. Although by now, everyone knows it was him. There was no, absolutely no other else. He's a paedophile, isn't he? He's a serial killer. He's a convicted fraudster. And a few other things I won't repeat. Harriet, well... I'll keep my thoughts about her to myself. But she lived on for a few more years until 1991. And she died aged 78 and was buried with him in Washington Park East Cemetery in Indianapolis. Do you think that's a time sunk fallacy? She refuses to admit her husband she's been with for, for not, well, not forever because she's the third one potentially. It might be a time sunk fallacy. She doesn't actually want to admit that he did those things because that means her time with him would have been false or a lie. I think there's part of that. Because he, he was caught red-handed. Multiple Th- those, times. Those bodies just didn't end up in the boot. But he, she, he served prison sentences multiple times when they were together. It's, it's different for something like, like fraud or drunken violence because that, that doesn't necessarily say something as bad about your character as committing intentional murder. Because if you get drunk and get into a fight and someone gets injured, that's unfortunate circumstances, isn't it? But driving around with some other little weirdo trying to sex traffic people, that's a bit telling of a character, isn't it? 
I did wonder, because my thoughts went where you've just said, but then I did wonder, I wonder if she was so d- scared of him, she didn't dare leave. She was an abuse victim. She might have been Stockholmed, yeah. Yeah, but especially because there were other reports from these neighbours that had known him for like 20 years yeah. that they would hear them out in the garden and they wouldn't hear Harriet speak. She was rarely seen. They knew you could, you know, you could look through the fence and see that they're yeah. out there. And he was always shouting and yelling at her and she never responded. So it did make me wonder if she didn't dare do anything. I mean, where could she run to? Yeah, you're not going to be able to because he would control all the finances. It's typical manipulation yeah. behaviour. Yeah, so I don't know. I think if it was now, she probably would have gotten out. But I suspect back then, I think it was stopped. You're, you're more sheltered. You don't have the internet. Yeah. You don't have the access. Yeah. I was going to ask what happened to him in sentencing, but he stuck his head in the boot and died. So he he, he won't be. Well, he saved the state a fortune, didn't he? Yes. Yes, definitely. So how many more people is he responsible for going missing? A lot, I suspect, especially when you look at that list of how many places he travelled when he went off travelling. All over the place in those two years when he was waiting trial for stealing the money for the house. You don't know how many bodies are up on the side of a hill or down in a ditch. America's a big old place. So there was some amazing research done by someone on Reddit with all the newspaper clippings which are linked in the show notes. There are no books. There are no documentaries and only a couple of other news articles. And that is the end of this week's case. Finally, the victims who should not be forgotten. Karen Nils, age 24. Robert Nils, age 2. And Sandra Harris, aged 17. So in in his timeline, from Mm -hmm. the age of 15 when his parents got divorced, when did his first instance of assault that could potentially be murder kick off? Well, that's the interesting part. I think it was it's showing as being in his early thirties. So I'm thinking about nah. fifteen years. Yeah, I'm thinking sooner. no. He was doing other stuff. He absolutely was doing other stuff. Because I was going to ask what made it escalate so quickly. So what I've got written here is he doesn't seem to get into real trouble until about his thirty. Then it's sexual assault, fraud, kidnapping, white slave trading, probably, and so on, etc. What instance happened that caused that? What caused that? Basically, we don't know. It's not as if anybody can dig around inside his head because he's dead. Yeah. Is there any history of uh, drug abuse, substance abuse, brain damage? There's nothing that's indicated. Aside from huffing car fumes, I guess. There's nothing indicated in in any of that. One of the things that did pop up was, you remember when he was in the army, when he was in the forces, he was only in there for 18 months. He ended up, he didn't do a, I suppose, he didn't have a trade or anything. One of the re- newspaper reports I saw said that it was him and another. He had a, he did have a title, and he was in a recruiting office. So it was a cushy number. So I, I don't know. There's more questions than answers. Could have been kicked out for substance abuse. Yeah, and it's of an age where there's nothing apart from these news articles. Most people close to any of this are long dead. Well, and- yeah, that, you, you're, that's third party. You're hearing it from the person yeah. who told you about that, heard it from someone. You're not, they weren't there. So this is a serial killer. I'm guaranteeing that maybe one out of all our hundreds and hundreds of listeners maybe has heard of, because I certainly hadn't. And I'm also going to briefly mention the carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. There's a movie that you never would have seen. Some people may have heard of it. It's called Midsummer or Midsummer. It's a psychological horror movie that came out a few years ago. It's very slow paced. It's very, very weird. Um, it's not so much about uh, jump scares. It's more psychological, freaky stuff. I'm, I I'm, actually I'm, quite like those. 
you won't like this one oh. trust me because oh. I, I watched it afterwards and i was like i feel really uncomfortable i just saw really strange because there's really odd imagery one of the main character's sister suffers from suicidal ideation and she, mm-hmm. and she, she kills herself but she takes her parents with her oh, right. and she basically gets the hose from the car and stuffs into the house in, yeah. in the bedroom or, and they die from it and then she then puts a gas mask on that has that attached to it and she dies and you see her like and it's a really graphic interpretation of carbon monoxide poisoning not and nice. it, yeah and it's like wow it, if that's what it's like and now i'm picturing this it's not it's it, it paints a very bleak image in your head not not good there was a, a spate some people may have heard of this others will not have done a couple of years ago obviously pre-covid when people are on holiday in europe especially france and spain it happened quite often they'd perhaps have say a camper van parked on the side of the road saying head down to the south of france and when they wake up they have lost half a morning and all their belongings have been rifled through and they've had stuff stolen and all they remember is going to sleep at night. It happened in a couple of holiday homes as well. And what they would do, I don't know what they were well, using. Well, they, they, they stuff in the exhaust so then it, back, it backfills. No, they were actually pumping something in like a sleeping gas. Okay. And there's a gang of them doing it and they've never actually been caught. And people are waking up groggy and they're like, oh, yeah. God, you know, how much did I have to drink last night? You didn't drink. What are you talking about? Hang on. Why is it midday? Yeah. Where's everything gone? Yeah, there's quite a few of them happen. So this, can't, yeah, it's just a... I asked partly because I wasn't sure if his, if, his primary, if his main method of killing people in his little kill room was carbon monoxide. But it wasn't. If he's attempted to stab those three women in the chest 15 times. Yeah. And they survived. I think he's done all sorts of things and he's he's been involved in... There was definitely a police officer, an ex-police officer, that uh, ended up in trouble because he was part of his little trafficking gang and they got them up on various charges. They managed to piece some bits together, but unless they admitted to what they were involved with, they couldn't piece any more because he was obviously somebody who didn't keep records or track of what he was doing unlike you know some killers do they keep all the receipts or they might keep a book that details where they've been and what they've been doing and harriet wouldn't talk to them it was weird because the i think one of the news reporters ra- no that one somebody rang harriet before he died and asked her about him and she said oh no we're divorced and the fbi came out afterwards and said no that's a pack of lies they weren't divorced so what again we don't know it's from so long ago there's yeah. no way but it's, it's fascinating that i read the article where he was found dead at the behind his car and it turns out he was the murderer and i was just like that's karma that's absolute karma and then stupidity yeah and then just going digging into it and finding out he had this 40 year history probably 30 years at least of all this horrible stuff he'd been doing so there's got to be bodies everywhere that i mean how would they can't attribute to him no i mean i thought about this could they take dig him up get his dna but then the victims they might not be able to get their dna off them if they haven't been preserved properly or you know cremated so yeah we just don't know so that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. For listening on the Patreon, you're better than everyone else. We appreciate the support. It means a lot. It does. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast and email us at murdermemondaypodcast.gmail.com. My Instagram, which is basically unrelated to the podcast whatsoever, is Cam Can't Focus. And I guess we'll see you next time. Peace. Much love. Peace.
Ted goes back to work as a painter and decorator. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> painter and decorator. Duh. Duh. 